0: we think about who can handle these climbs, it's not just an elite cyclist. It could be someone that just enjoys riding, wants to see a new country, wants to experience people and culture and food um, and stop at a roadside stand and have a coconut water. You know, all of those things. If, if you want to embrace adventure and you want to see a new country on two wheels and you have a good attitude and the right gearing, there's the, the sky is the limit
1: you have to face your fear on it. Like it is very steep. There's parts of it that are 30% grade, like, and people don't believe us, but it legit is. And so like, I had the first experience of like you, like when you're a race, you go for an extra gear. And like, if you don't have it, like, okay, it will just go like a little bit slower and maybe you don't get the place you want. But here, like, if you literally don't have any more energy to draw from, like you're going to fall over on your bike. Like that was my experience. And so like being in a situation where I had to dig that deep and I found more energy than I ever knew that I had before, was life-changing because now i can access it anytime i want like i know where it is because i was forced in that situation that no race has ever put me in to find it and now on the race course i'm like oh i can dig i i know how far i can go like i've been in the well before all because of this one day on sacramento like so people can be scared like i totally get it it is scary but like if you're gonna sit on the sideline and never like approach that fear you're never gonna find what's inside of you
2: Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and if you don't know already, we are all about following those signals from the universe to go after big things in this life, things that no doubt ask fear to come along for the ride as we take leaps into the unknown, you know, that place where all our possibilities live. Well, BJ and I are in that place right now as we prepare to join today's guests in Costa Rica for a multi-day cycling camp. Dan Casey and Jennifer Volman are co-founders of the Pura Vita cycling challenge, the place where grit meets paradise. This is our first time meeting and talking with Dan while Jennifer we've known for a few years now, ever since she walked up to us in the early morning hours at Ironman Arizona. She introduced herself as an avid YTP listener, and isn't it funny how life unfolds as we prepare to join her in the promised land in exactly one month. Dan and Jennifer are both well-accomplished athletes. Jennifer is an endurance coach, avid triathlete, and in recent years, and Ironman World Championship qualifier at the 70.3 and 140.6 distances. Dan is a former pro triathlete and NCAA swimmer with many podiums and victories under his belt, who was born in Peru and lived in Costa Rica for many years. When BJ and I decided to join these guys for what we feel a bit more comfortable calling a cycling tour as opposed to the cycling challenge, we knew we wanted to get them on the show and share their beautiful souls with the community. Jennifer and Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you. So excited to be on the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, you've been a listener. You've been a listener now for quite some time, yeah. and now you're here. Although I will say, you've been on our radar. Like you people will sit on our radar for a while, and then when the time comes, like, we just know Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, like, yes, like now. And of course, when we talk to you, so I'm looking at the calendar today and it was like one month ago today, we talked to you and we're like, yeah, we're in. And then one month from today, we're going to be in it. And then the day that this launches, I think we're going to be on like day four of, the, oh, the tour. That's, that's the queen stage, by the way. <laughs> yes. Nice. Yes. Wonderful. Um, well, let's jump in. We want to share about you guys. Um, we want to talk about what's going to be happening in Costa Rica. And, you know, you hear about cycling tours and challenges and multi-day stage events and things like that. And you always think about Europe. So I want to get into that, like why Costa Rica. But Dan, let's start with you. Give us some background um, of what brought you to, you know, now leading these tours down in Costa Rica. Like, what's your athletic background besides the little tiny smidge that I shared in the intro?
0: Sure. Um, I really grew up going to triathlons as a kid. My dad was an early adopter of the sport in the early 80s. And I think the first Ironman in Kona might have been late 70s, maybe like 76 or 77. So by the early 80s, my dad had embraced the sport, and there was a series of triathlons that came through the Midwest sponsored by Bud Light. So I used to go to these Bud Light triathlons, watch my dad, be at the finish line. Um, And that's really where it started. I Also, I grew up in the pool, and I was a competitive swimmer my whole life. Um, Got a college scholarship to Xavier University. My best friends to this day are still a lot of my swimming buddies from Xavier and um you know growing up as an athlete it's always been in my dna it's always been part of who i was the first triathlon i did was probably 1982 and i was a kid but because we went to all my dad's races me and my older brother put together the Casey family triathlon in the community, in our neighborhood. And we invited all the neighborhood kids. We got everyone together. My mom had an aid station at the end of our driveway where we would bike around and we would pass there on the bike, we'd pass there on the run. So we had aid stations, we had awards, there was a ribbon, but there was only one ribbon for first place. There was no second place ribbon. There was no third place ribbon. You either got a ribbon, you either won or you didn't, you got nothing. Um, but the, one of the, one of the best, one of a funny story was One year, it was July 4th, 1984, and there's still a picture of this day, but my brother and I did the race. The only two finishers in the history of the Casey Triathlon were my brother, Jose, and I. All the other neighborhood kids would start, and then they would be done by about mile one on the bike. And it was maybe a 500-yard swim, three-mile bike, and three-quarters of a mile run. And at eight years old, it was a long day. But one year, my brother always beat me. He was a foot taller than me, and he was two years older than me. And he would always beat me by 10, 15 minutes. But one year he got a flat tire and my dad and him had to patch his flat tire on the side of the road. So he could get back into the Casey triathlon, (laughs) probably every bit of a 20 minute delay. So he was still convinced to win that year. He starts motoring on the bike, hammering the run. And I'm just a little eight year old. And, and I knew he got a flat. So I'm thinking I'm going to win this race He chased as hard as he could for probably forty-five minutes, and he said he had me within two hundred yards at the finish line. He almost caught me, but I crossed the finish line first. And there's a famous picture within our family of the finish line at the 1984 Casey Triathlon. I have this big ribbon and this big grin, and my brother has the biggest frowny face you've ever seen. (laughs) And uh, that was kind of the start of hey, I can do this. This was fun. Um, You know, I got lucky beating my two-year-old, my brother who was two years older that day, but. Watching my dad race, racing with my family and friends, doing it in the neighborhood, and then through high school and college, I would do triathlon in the summer when I had a little bit more time to to train. But swimming really was my life in the second, the last half of high school, and then all of college. At, at that level, competitive swimming is a twelve month a year commitment. So when I got done with college swimming, I actually swam on the nas- national team for Ecuador, where my, where my mom is from for a year and did a few international competitions with Ecuador. That was a ton of fun being able to travel very similar to the Pura Vida cycling challenge. It was travel to an event, get there early, uh, eat where the locals eat, train at the pool. Where we're going to compete bond with teammates. And, and that was quite the international athletic experience as well. Um, uh, won a couple of bronze medals at a South American championship meet that was held in Ecuador at the time in 1998. Um, And then when my swimming career was was over, I just wanted to get back into triathlon, which I did as a kid and did a little bit as a teenager. And now in my early 20s, I got a bike. I was committed to it. And I just started training hard. I had a full-time corporate job at the time. But I just trained hard and um, had some success, worked my way up, and was able to win some local races, uh, win some regional races, and just had a, a ton of fun competing at a high level of the sport where I raced as a pro in 2004 and 2005 did Chicago, the Accenture race at the time. I think 2001 I was the overall amateur champion. And I think there was, I think there was they called it the world's biggest triathlon, maybe 7,000 athletes. So amateur champ in a, in a race like that was, was a thrill. Um, did the escape from Alcatraz many years, did some world championship races, one in uh, Mexico, another one in Hawaii, and just kind of at the time, Olympic distance racing was a pretty big deal. There was prize money, there was purses, there was international names, uh, the Tim DeBooms of the world, Chris McCormick's of the world, going up against these guys was just, it was a thrill just being on the same stage and racing at, at that level was was really, really awesome. Um, so really through my 20s, I was a very um, committed and dedicated Olympic distance triathlete. And then I had a few things at the end of my twenties, just personal events. I lost one of my best friends, who was one of my best swimming buddies, in a tragic car accident. I lost another friend, to, a friend to Hodgkin's disease. Um, another friend of mine passed away in Afghanistan serving. And this all happened before I was thirty, and it really kind of reset priorities as far as you know. There's corporate responsibilities and there's day to day grind, but at some point. You got to just take life in and you have to appreciate every day. And it sounds cliche, but there really is some perspective that comes with that as far as just resetting priorities and not stressing out about what is my sales number on week 14 of fiscal year 04, because it just doesn't matter. (laughs) It, 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 It just doesn't matter. I mean, yes, it's important to make a living and yes, it's important to be successful, but. Stress can be a little bit of a choice, and I just try to let it go, and I just try to embrace. And that's why the bike for me is is spiritual, and it's a release, and it's just kind of a mental recharge and a physical recharge, both. Um, but you know, those events that happened at the end of my twenties, I sold my house, I sold my cars. And I wanted to reconnect with my Hispanic background. I grew up speaking – my language. Spanish was my first language as a kid. When I got to first grade, I'd lived in Peru, Ecuador, Chile, Dominican Republic, and then finally landed in Ohio where my dad is from. So my dad is an Irish German from Ohio who went to the Peace Corps and married a native Ecuadorian in Ecuador. They started the family there, and then we moved back to Ohio when I was five (laughs) years old. So I showed up to Ohio as Daniel Sean Casey, this – classic looking Irish kid that couldn't speak a lick of English. I needed tutors. I had an accent. My cousins in Ohio would make fun of me. Um, so it took me some time to adapt to language, reading, and writing. you know, first and second grade, I had help and I needed that help. But when I got to my the end of my 20s and I was kind of ready to get back to that, I embraced what's the next step going to be? Is it gonna be Ecuador? Is it gonna be somewhere else? And I went to Costa Rica. Kind of fell in love with a country. I, I wanted to go somewhere where there wasn't snow, where I could train all year, where I could um, just kind of embrace a culture that I grew up with and that I knew. So Ecuador at the time, I have a ton of family there, and I have um, a lot of history and a lot of um, great things to say about Ecuador. It just wasn't the greatest place from a from a safety standpoint an economic standpoint. At the time, this was 2005, 2006. It's gotten better in the last couple of years, frankly. But I went to Costa Rica and just fell in love with it. And I was like, this is a place where I can drop anchor. This is a place where I can be. This is a place I want to experience. And this is compatible with what I'm looking for right now. So from 2006 to 2013, that was home. And that's really where the roots of this Pure Vita Cycling Challenge were established. And that's where it started to become a vision. And I was telling Jennifer, I have notes of how this event was going to work from 2010. So I'd been there for four years and I was already planning in my mind. I have to be able to share some of these experiences that I'm having with friends or with others, because this is way too fulfilling for me to not be able to take my candle and light someone else's candle and share that experience. So that's living in Costa Rica. And I was speaking the language. I was running a small business. It was phone calls in Spanish. It was presentations in Spanish. Um, It was riding with all of the local, a lot of the local teams, high level pros, aspiring amateurs, um, helping people in the pool is funny. I used to swim at this community pool that Jennifer has swam at. They used to call me Daniel Phelps because they thought I swam like Michael Phelps. And they don't have a, a huge history of swimming in Costa Rica. So I looked like I looked like I knew what I was doing, even though I wasn't, I didn't have half the talent, 10% of the talent that Michael Phelps has. But um I was the, the gringo looking guy, shaved head that would get in the pool and swim well, and they called me Daniel Phelps. So I just embraced the local culture, I embraced the local people. I had a ton of fun down there, and I knew that there was some way to put together an experience, put together a tour, share this with others, that maybe they'll get some, some of the same fulfillment, connectivity from it that, that this country gave to me. So it's really a way of giving back. And I know we'll get a little bit more into the tour itself, but there's a, a, a large component of giving back to this community that's a, a really important part of, that, of the Pura Vita Cycling Challenge.
2: Yeah, I had the uh, the gift of going to Costa Rica for the first time last year, where I held a a co hosting a yoga retreat. So we were in Nosara, and it was pretty limited just because of what was going on in the world. They wanted us to stay on site, which is fine when you're doing yoga and you're meditating all day, and we're doing like you know develop with development workshops and things like that. Like we were, but there was this part of me that's like, man, I want to discover this country and. I can say that it was like stepping onto that land and just, and, and being, and meditating like, you know, mm-hmm. twice a day, every day. It was the most hot like the highest vibrational experience I've had. Like that land was, it, it, I mean, you feel it, like you feel it under your feet. And Beej and I have talked about like, you know, had this vision. Maybe it's my vision that I've kind of put on him. Like Usually is. (laughs) It definitely is. I say yes, though. I say
3: yes a lot more.
2: (laughs) Of like kind of living in like a jungle area. I just have this vision of this house kind of near a stream and it's in the jungle. And when I landed in Costa Rica last year and got to spend some time there, I was like, whoa, we always thought it was Kauai, but it very much might be this place. And then my gosh, just learning about the country, and you know, the you know the army was abolished fifty years ago, and you know, money was put into education and healthcare, and ninety five percent literacy rate. Like it's just not just is the land high vibrational, but the people are just high vibrational, and um, to have a, a whole country that's about preserving the land and the biodiversity that's there. It just, oof, I'm so looking forward to getting back and. Funny thing, but not so funny um, because life always unfolds <clears throat> in such a perfect way. Is that um, I had booked an extra week onto this year's retreat because I wanted to have an adventure. And I didn't know what the adventure was going to be. And I like to just give the space and say, okay, universe, bring me the adventure. So that's, uh, we all know what the adventure is now. We'll be seeing you guys a month from today. But I love that, you know, we, we've we all had people in our life that we've lost. And and as you were talking about, you know, those three friends that you that you lost in your 20s and how that really woke you up to the, you know to having a shift in your life. It reminded me of this book that um, we always recommend that our athletes read. It's The Untethered Soul. It's a really amazing book, but there's a whole chapter on like, I think I want to say it's called like the gift of death and how when people transition from this earth, it gives us the living an opportunity to say, Am I living the life that I want? Am I happy living? Like, because when somebody close to us exits, it's an instant, you know, it's in an instant. And so to look at your life and say, you know what, like numbers on a screen and like this isn't bringing me joy, to take that and and have that shift to follow your heart, which has all led to this podcast right here, all of us being together in this podcast. It's just, it's so beautiful. And I think that, you know, we, we tend to mire in the loss and we forget the gifts and we forget the, the reminders that, um, you know, we, we can live the life that we desire here and joy, joy, Should I always say, like, you you know, don't should on anyone, like, don't should on yourself, (laughs) but like, we should have joy as a top priority. Um, and that doesn't mean it's not going to be with challenge Mm -hmm. or things that scare us, right? But joy, if you can have joy along with you know, everything else that goes along in the ride, like fear and pride and fear of the pride getting hurt and all of that, I mean, I just think I love that you use those gifts to have that shift. Um, And then you went to this beautiful land.
0: Absolutely. And when you talk about high vibrational people, when you go down there, experience this and meet our local crew down there, I think high vibrational is a great way to describe it. And I know Jennifer feels that as well. Um, Our crew is just, as you know, Costa Rican culture, very welcoming, very hospitable, funny people. Um, It's just... It's a huge part and component of this event that it's really hard to put into words, but as you meet these people and see what they're about, it is just it, it's it's something that moves you. It's something that's really special and 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 it's a really important part of the of the entire five day experience
1: yeah Dan and I were trying to describe it last night. we both came with the word "family. It feels mm-hmm. like a family down there. and then the people like you'll you'll be a part of the family when you're down there too, and then you stay a part of the family. Like that's the beautiful piece. It's not just acquaintances, but you become mm-hmm. kind of part of the community. like they're 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 on forever. You'll be a part of that family.
3: Mm-hmm. I love that. yeah, I think that's when um when we were doing our our tour uh, when we left new england and traveled across the country we went to create community and we had originally had this idea of like oh we're going to give speeches and we're going to you know talk about nutrition and what we're doing and that never worked out but it was like the the places we stayed in the campground and the couples and people that were near us that um we had c- just random conversations that now we've stayed connected with and became that 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 family so i i i, I love that we're always going to be connected, you know. After we after we do this tour, and we'll have family um, expanding down into Costa Rica. It's beautiful, no doubt.
0: Um, oh J- yeah,
1: it, it feels like coming home when I fly down there. That's what it feels like. And, like and a I'll tell home you what's really to special there. too
0: is part of this family are even non athletes. Mm-hmm. It's my friend Norman Flores who mm-hmm. runs a Colombian restaurant and a Tex Mex restaurant down there. He's a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a he's a character. No, he is. He's got the best food in town. And he caters our lunches, and he's there early, and he's chatting with the people, and you know he's one of these guys that's an integral part of what the experience is. Um, you know, there's wives and girlfriends that are very supportive. There's Mauricio and Maureen who who run our support vehicle. Um, there are a lot of behind the scenes people in this event that make it special who are extremely mm. colorful, extremely welcoming, and really a part of that family that are that are unforgettable. Mm. They're just they're, they're salt of the earth people.
3: I can't wait. Can't wait to get down there. <laughs> um, patience, right? Patience attains right. the goal. Uh, Jennifer, um, why don't you share your background a little bit about where uh, how, what brought you here to this, uh, to this podcast?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have like zero background in sports up until my thirties. Um, I'm not very fast and I can't catch anything. So that eliminates like the majority of high school sports. <laughs> um, and so I've always like run trails in my backyard. I'm, I'm from Phoenix, um, and have like stayed in shape. Like, you know, I, d- I also had a slider I had, and like the step machine and like, I had all those things. Right. And, uh, I eventually started doing CrossFit, and through CrossFit was the first time somebody considered me an athlete. And I was like, "Oh, am I an athlete?" I didn't think that was part of like who I was, but it sounds like I feel like I am. I just don't know how. Um, And then I found triathlon a few years later, and I was like, "Oh, this is the how! Like this makes sense! Like I I belong in this sport." It all kind of like clicked together um, in triathlon. And then I uh, I had my daughter and I left my job um, to be with her and I was really kind of like lost as to who I was and I gravitated towards triathlon and sport to kind of fill those gaps that I felt were missing. Um, And not even so much missing, just like had been buried inside me, I just didn't know how to access. And now all of a sudden I was like accessing them and they just became this like, became the person who I am. Um, and I always was that person, I just had never accessed before. It was this kind of really beautiful experience. And that's how I found your podcast was, um, I was you know looking for a triathlon podcast and the way that you described mindfulness and connectivity and in sport. I have a background in religious studies um, and I love different and I've done meditation before and it was just, I'm like, oh, this is amazing. It's like everything I love <laughs> in a podcast and I can bring, I didn't realize I could bring all that into sport. I was like, oh, I can bring all this into sport. This is beautiful. I had no idea I could bring all these different like lessons I had learned through my life. Um, and I met Dan, actually, he ran the swim school where my daughter was swimming and taking lessons. So she was four i think at the time Mm -hmm. yeah and i had like an iron man backpack and he just like started chatting with me um he was like oh let's just you know we should just go ride together you know cyclists like you find their cyclists and then all of a sudden you spend like four hours with a stranger because you both ride bikes (laughs) (laughs) and you get to know everything about them and so I started riding with Dan, and I was brand new to riding. Um, and so he was he's been really helpful. He's been like a mentor to me for cycling. Uh, Dan's an incredible cyclist, really, really incredible. Um, so I've been blessed to have him kind of show me how to become a better cyclist and um, through the years become a better athlete. So that's my athletic background. Um, and one, I don't even know when we started talking about this, Dan. It was probably two thousand and nine.
0: Yeah, 2000. It was pre-pandemic for sure. And I just want to back up a hair because one thing Jennifer sells herself short on a little bit is she's a fantastic student. She's one of these people where if you tell her to do something once, she's got it. It's like coaching somebody like Jennifer is amazing because she just takes it in, she wants feedback, and then she just goes. And she is off and she is at the next level in two days. So it was rewarding for me as well to kind of see her come up and now she shares her splits with me and I'll watch some of her races remotely or see, watch the, the video camera on Zoom at her triathlon finishes. So it's also very rewarding to see somebody that wants to embrace it so much. It's like, give me more, give me more. How can I be better? I'm like, well, just tweak this, change that a little bit, consider this. And she's like, okay, done. And, and she's off. So that it's really really cool to see that as well.
1: It's been fun. I definitely embrace triathlon and and the great thing is um I'm a, I fully identify as an athlete and a really competitive one and that's fun too. It's fun, you know, loving something and feeling like you can you have a lot of areas to grow in it. Um and you know, qualifying for worlds is also super fun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Do you feel like what you're living now and what you feel as a competitive triathlete was something you always felt but like there you weren't like you couldn't apply it to like the circumstances of your life. Like you always felt it, but now you're living it.
1: And on top of that, like people would make fun of me for how bad at sports I am. So like I had a, a PE teacher, my freshman year, that was like, it's okay you don't run fast. You're super feminine. And it's, you know, like that just makes sense. And I was like,
2: oh, is that why I'm not running fast? Cause I'm really girly? <laughs> like I didn't know those two <laughs> things were connected. We gotta get those suckers on the starting line is with I you. Really? Yeah. Or I had
1: so I used to joke that like I'm a I'm an Olympic athlete. I just haven't found my sport. And I figure curling must be my sport. Like that was my joke. <laughs> I haven't tried curling, but once I try it, watch out, like Olympics here I come. And so that was a joke I had for a long time. And then I did my first sprint triathlon And I think I trained on like a spin bike and like the treadmill and I was still doing CrossFit and I got second in my age group. I was like, oh, oh, maybe this has been true the whole time. I just really didn't know my sport. And now I found my sport. Um, And then I then I just kind of like took off. I had took off with it. And, you know, a couple years later, here we are. (laughs)
3: Well, you found your, you found your thing. I think, I think a lot of people are in circumstances like that where they don't know exactly what they want. And so they stop and they just accept maybe what the coach says. And they're like, okay, well, you know, this is, this is the sentence I've been, you know, this is the life I have to live. But instead you got to keep going to find that thing. And it may take you 20, 30, 40, 50 years um, Yeah and and backtrack to dan's like story like maybe we need experiences in our life that that sort of shock the system to say okay we got to we got to speed this up a little bit and find out what it is that's bringing us joy and then we need to do a hell of a lot of it like we need to immerse ourselves in it and really and really embrace that so it sounds like you just kept looking for that thing that uh
1: it was always—it's like a tapping, like just a little tap, like every mm-hmm. once in a while, like just a little, like kind of gnawing tap that just doesn't stop. Like this isn't quite right. There's something more like you should do deeper. And you're like, yeah, okay. But I got to like, I got to do my career. Yeah. Okay. But, like I'm going to have a kid. Yeah. Okay. And then eventually like it just gets so loud. You're like, okay, fine. <laughs> like <laughs> I can no longer tolerate the tapping. Like I can no longer tolerate what's happening. like I've got to just pay attention to it and then see where it takes me.
0: As far as Jennifer and I, the the Pura Vita cycling challenge was kind of running itself for the better part of six or seven years, where I was going down, experiencing as my own, as what would be a business owner and a passenger, and starting to piece together how will this work? I would invite friends down with me. I'd get feedback. Is this viable? What did you think? And one of my friends that came down, Don, he was like it touched him spiritually, like it touched me. And and conversations with him where this is fantastic i can't be involved but there's something here and then uh, you know i'm continuing to go down i'm I'm continuing to reconnect with my friends have these experiences and then i reach out to jennifer and she came along as a passenger as like just experience it as um just take everything in don't you don't have to think about it um from a high level strategic standpoint just enjoy it (laughs) take in the sights and sounds take in the routes um chat with the people after, and we did that for, I think we rode like nine days or maybe eight out of nine days. But we eight went,
1: days. Uh, I was like, Dan, <laughs> <laughs> you can't do eight days.
0: <laughs> we run eight days. And uh, then we came back and we kind of downloaded it and she's like, this is incredible. Let's figure out how do we do this? How do we market it? How do we organize it? What are the stages? What are the days? So I just kind of took her on my greatest hits list of routes for eight days and she got to meet some of the people. She got to see a lot of the country. And that's when we started kind of formalizing this as a, an official event. But it has been an unofficial event for me for the better part of almost nine years now, since 2013. Um, just going back, reconnecting with my friends and and just building this from there. And and Jennifer has been instrumental in in formalizing this tour.
1: Well, it was so easy to say yes, because if you hear Dan talk about, he's so passionate about Costa Rica and his experiences and what it's like to cycle there. And I didn't. I think it was on a ride and he's like, do you want to come? And there wasn't like a hesitation. I was like, obviously I want to come and experience this. (laughs) Like, who doesn't want to go ride a bike in Costa Rica? This sounds amazing. Um, And so I think, yeah, in a couple months later, we were in there and this was the middle of the pandemic. We just, we just did anyhow um
2: yeah i was gonna ask you that so what year was it that you went down to do this eight day which i think thank god it's five. not
1: eight days it's right. five, five days is a lot i have to, i was pretty like i was like i don't know if this is so we, we decided to go i think maybe it was like october 2020 and then january 2021 so it was that, that january we just so it was in the midst of you know before vaccinations um just kind of in the midst of and we just and we wore a mask we you know brought the bikes down. We were, Uh yeah, we just, it was, we just, you know, we just, we just lived our life. We just felt inspired to go and we didn't want anything to hold it back. We just wanted to experience it. I just wanted to be there. And I don't speak a lick of Spanish. I speak zero Spanish. Um, And so just, you know, if people are wondering about that, like I feel fully immersed in the community without speaking the language. Like it just, it's a different level of immersion. Um, It's a different level of like communing with people that like language barrier doesn't really make much of a difference um, you don't get all the jokes but besides that like
3: these <laughs> are all about you, no, yeah. it, doesn't, you know,
1: <laughs> it doesn't make it doesn't make yeah you know, so it's just it was just I was as inspired as Dan's you know friend Don was and I I have traveled in many many places I've lived in Africa before I've traveled across um, Asia, Africa, Central America, and there's something so special about Costa Rica that I've never experienced anywhere else. Um, that it just like it just gets in your soul. Like I don't know how else to describe it, but yeah, it's like the land and the people and the energy are just like this is amazing. And then to do something I love to be on a bike on top of it, it's just like a next level experience. Um, and so we were down there for the eight days. I was exhausted and suggested five days, but besides that, I was like we got to do this.
0: <laughs> so we pared down over the eight. Days we said, okay, these are the five best mm-hmm. ones. These are the five five we can package as an event, as a challenge. And Jennifer, it's easy, it's, it's to have that conversation with Jennifer after right after she experienced it. She's like, okay, yeah, this will be day one. Let's make this day four. Let's make this day three. And so we kind of just sort of putting together the whole event and packaging it up. And because she had seen it and she had lived it, she's like, This is how, this is how we can build it out. So that was extremely, extremely helpful.
2: And so if you don't speak Spanish, um, is there like people are speaking, I mean, my experience was you can get away with English pretty, pretty easily down there. Um, although I, I don't like not being in the know. I don't, I don't like not getting the jokes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there, you so there's enough like of, of the crew we ride with. So every ride we ride with local cyclists, we're, it's never just a bunch of green groves out riding by ourselves. It's always with a crew of local cyclists. We were basically kind like like, we are like embedded in this already existing crew of like anywhere from like weekend warriors up to like pro cyclists. Like it's a huge group. It's this whole community that we're a part of. And there's enough people in that, that will like, you can always ask. There's a couple of people that speak like perfect English, um, um, and there are some people who speak less. So it's enough of like communication that you can you can figure it out, or somebody will come in and help you with it. yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so should you take us through like what what it looks like? Like take us through like what, when people arrive, like, what is this, what is this thing all about? Why don't you guys just yeah. go do your, so go do your tag it. team. Have at it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> have at it. yeah.
1: So we stay at this amazing place called the Perivita hotel and it's a uh, kind of just individual casitas in this giant like jungle. The guy that owns it, Bernie loves his uh, like flora and fauna. So it's very beautiful. <laughs> like it's like, you're in like a garden. Um, it's Bernie and, and Bernie and knee. Bernie and knee. Yeah. And yeah. so, and they're, and they have two German shepherd dogs that are my favorite dogs. They want to play fetch. All the all the Hi. time. I love these dogs. I went, the other time I went out, and my one that was like all my bed waiting to play fetch with me. <laughs> They're <laughs> fantastic. So, and then from there, we all of our rides start, and we meet up with the local crew. Um, and the first day, we go through these really beautiful artisan towns. One, of the towns um, Sarchi's, where they make these like beautiful like wheels that you just like. There's you know no tourist gets to see these amazing places. So They're the are,
0: ox carts. They're like the yeah. old fashioned farm implements that they would use on sugarcane farms, on coffee farms to haul stuff around. And over the years, artisans have made these literally works of arts where they're hand-painted giant ox carts that have tremendous amount of detail. They're absolutely beautiful. You see them on the side of the road. But these communities that Jennifer is mentioning, it's the artisan capital of Costa Rica. It's where the leather goods come from. It's where furniture comes from. Um, Any kind of artisan goods that are generated in costa rica i bet 80 percent of them come from these small towns that we ride through and they're not places you're going to find a lot on tour books or on guidebooks but cruising through them on your bike and stopping at the little bakery in this town and getting a photo in front of an old historic church with an ox cart in front that was hand painted these are experiences that you're getting to experience costa rica in a very authentic way with locals telling you about the history of the town um the land that we're riding through. This is coffee farm land. This is sugarcane up here. We're going to go on past the the, the sugarcane plant in a couple of miles. Uh, we're going to get ju- sugarcane juice that is extracted from the pulp of the sugarcane on the roadside, which is.
1: That's the best. There's ju- a guy. The there's a it's guy. The in, he has his truck, and the back is just like sugarcane juice, and he'll have like meshed up, like, is it rice and strawberry? He's got a bunch of different things. Yeah, so we just like it's, pull it's, over in the side of the road, eat like out like yeah. plastic bags.
0: Yeah, it's out, out of a plastic bag. the best I've is, ever had before. <laughs> It's called frutas mixtas, which is a mixed fruit drink that has like rice in it. And it's unbelievable. He's got fresh mango. He's got sugarcane cane juice. Um, just a, an entire pickup truck in the back of him just pressing fresh juices straight from the farm into the little baggies for the cyclists. Um, so you really get to experience it a- as authentic as possible. And Jennifer, I'll let you continue on the routes. I just want to take one step back to the town itself. So where you fly into is the capital city the airport in San Jose is actually in a town called Alajuela. And Alajuela is kind of the central hub of where we do most of our, it's definitely where we start every ride and finish every ride. And there's some suburban areas of the center of Alajuela. And the one area that we stay towards is called Tambor. And Alajuela is very much a it's a community that historically, for the last century plus, has been dominated by agriculture. So it's a farming community. It's an early to bed, an early to rise community. It's a very hardworking community. Um, and as you see the terrain around Alajuela and the volcano, there's a volcano right on the backside of it called Poas, which we climb part of. There's a volcano called Barba, which is one province to the east which we climb up as well as you see the terrain and you see as fertile the land is you you understand why it's so uh, agrarian from an economic standpoint so there's a farmers market in Alajuela centro where you can go and get fruits and vegetables for the trip and it's very walk you can you can walk the town it's 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 friendly and you get a sense of kind of it is it is not a big bustling city it's just a small farming town it's the second biggest city in Costa Rica but it doesn't feel like it it is very mm. Um, it's very hardworking blue collar and, and it's just, it's authentic. And that's kind of where you fly into and we stay out in Tambor, which is from the airport on a taxi. It's probably 15 minutes max. Um, the jungle lodge run by Bernie and need a Pura Vida hotel is amazing. And that's really, that environment is our camp base, if you will, for those, for the five days.
2: Hmm. The Jungle Lodge. Yeah. <laughs> and sugar and, ca- and caffeine. like And
0: then coffee. It's what like, else do you need?
1: Right.
2: And, and fresh fruit
1: juices. I mean, there's what else do you mm-hmm. need?
0: But there's more. <laughs> and Jennifer, you want to expand a little bit on... The, the days and the stages and kind of how yeah. they play out. So
1: the first day is a great opener. So we kind of climb through these towns and then we head up this very, it's a beautiful road, very few cars. It's kind of winds through the rainforest and it gives you the first taste of kind of what the climbs are like. So in Costa Rica, they tend to build roads straight up cause there's no snow. And so, and they for whatever reason dislike switchbacks, I don't know, but they just kind of just go straight up. Um, And so it gives you this really beautiful, like, sweeping views of the valley. You're in the rainforest. And also there's some pretty, like, decent climbs. Uh, And, you know, I think... That last one, the last pitch gets up, you know, st- you know, above 15% plus, and it's a good kind of like starter to what it, it is. And we usually you end up climbing into the clouds. It usually, is very cloudy on top of where we climb to Los tennis. and then we come down. And the way the group, you know, splits up is everybody rolls out together. And when we get to the climb of the day, it just kind of naturally breaks apart to our faster climbers and then to our slower ones. But everybody waits on the top for everybody, um, and we have a sag car that's kind of leapfrogging everybody, so you can put jackets in there, extra food. We have all the drinks. So you don't have to bring a lot with you. Um, we always have support along the way. And then everybody waits at the top for everybody. We take a photo. We all kind of cheer each other on. And then we descend down together and then head back down um, into town. So that's kind of true of every day. There's kind of like a major climb of the day. And we all get there together. And then we kind of break apart as people want to climb at their own speed. Um, and, but then we always wait for everybody at the top. Um, and a lot of times our stronger riders will go back down and cheer everybody as they come up the tougher part, which is really beautiful. And yeah, no so one's you're never, ever
0: by themselves. You're never so by always yourself. Have guides. So yeah. like, I'll be at the back or I'll be in the middle or we'll have one of our guides, Abel or Pocho or Douglas. One of these guys is going to be, we're organized where we've always got coverage on every part of the pack. So you're never solo. You've always got some support there. You've always got someone to make sure um, you're turning right or you're turning left or you're on the right path. Um, so it's fully supported from both uh, mechanical standpoint with our support vehicle and with the food and drinks we have in there, but also just people. Our people are supporting the Peloton as needed and, and, and dedicated to do, to do that type of work.
1: Yeah, it's really, it's it's a really, really supportive group. Everybody is really there for the experience, too, and are, are happy just to kind of be along and join, like, the beautiful cycling as well. Um, and the first day is a special day because we head back to the bunker. So the bunker is the home of this uh, man, Howell, and, and Dan can go into more detail about him. He's a really special, just a really special soul. Um, but that's, like, the community hub for the crew, and we, every year, we bring donations in. So every cyclist, we ask to bring donations. Dan and I get a lot of donated from the local Bike shops, and we um, have donations. And that day, we distribute the donation. So, Dan, if you want to talk more about Hoel and Absolutely. Kind of his
0: background, Hoel is this incredible spiritual being who was a pro cyclist in the late 80s in Costa Rica. He still looks like it. He's probably He's so strong, five, six, 125 pounds, climbs like a gazelle. Uh, I think he just turned sixty recently, and he still does all of the routes he's still engaged but he is he understands sport and what it brings to young people or people that are have some adverse effects in life so he's always been committed to having this cycling community in this just outside of Alahuela, this town of, of Tambor he has been extremely supportive of group rides of making sure people have access to equipment and it, it's the his he, has, he's, he runs an upholstery business on his own, and he's dedicated part of his upholstery shop to be a bike clubhouse-slash-workshop. So he has all this, these vintage pictures up on the wall of races from the 70s and 80s. He'll have cycling on a little 14-inch TV in the corner. Um, his wife, Lehia will bring us drinks at the end of the ride. A lot of times we're sitting on chairs that are waiting to be upholstered in his lineup for for his business and we just kind of that's our furniture that we use in the bunker and he's just a really special guy and his his son and daughter-in-law also live on the property and Howell as the organizer of these group rides and kind of the the leader in the cycling community in Tambor um and I'll backtrack a little bit when I left Costa Rica in 2013 I knew the guys that I rode with needed stuff and I mean biking gear they are one, um, you know, one bad derailleur away from not being able to ride, one broken chain, one broken spoke, and they're they're out of the they're out of business when it comes to biking biking for a while. So I would get requests. Hey Dan, next time you come, can you bring me a rear derailleur? Can you bring me a rim? Um, one of my friends sent me a picture of his rim. It was a carbon rim that was literally cracked. The entire, whatever it was, 40 millimeter rim cracked right down the middle. And he's still riding on it. He's like, I either ride on this cracked rim or I don't get to ride. Exactly. So there's a need there. And when I'm riding here in the States, there's a, a group that I rode with a Bruce Brothers. So I just put a, a, a message out there. I said, Hey, listen, I'm going to Costa Rica. If anyone has used gear that they would otherwise throw away, I'll take it and uh, would take it down to my friends. And the first year, the contributions i got were out of this world i had like four giant totes of gear just stacks of jerseys stacks of bibs handlebars seats components lights gps computers and it was just the just from one group of probably 30 guys and gals i got all this stuff i'm like this is amazing so i kept doing that for a few years and and bringing this stuff back, I just it was checkable luggage, so I would just have four extra bags on United or on American or whatever. And um, this group would also contribute to to extra baggage fees. You can't really ship this stuff down; it's got to go through customs. It's a it's just more of a pain. Um, so I it just goes on the airplane with me. We bring it down, and then it gets distributed amongst this crew of riders, and not only riders that we ride with, but folks that use bikes for commuting to and from work. In these developing countries, a bike is a very important part of day-to-day life. So if you imagine you've got a five-mile commute on your bike and you just busted your chain and you you, you can't get access to it, now all of a sudden you're trying to get a bus or trying to pay for a taxi or trying to make other uh, arrangements for transportation becomes really, really challenging. So uh, keeping... Riders that want to ride on the road and people using bikes as a as a way to commute to and from work on the road as well was was really really rewarding and it was very well received. So it, 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 when we get down there for the Pure Vida Cycling Challenge, we come with all this gear. Sometimes it's more than we can even handle as checkable luggage. So on the last trip, I had to leave a bag behind that I'll take on this coming trip just because the don- the amount of donations we got was was huge. So we're going to work through logistics and figure out the best way to do it, but. All of this gear goes to Howell's bunker, and then after the end of that first day's ride, we have it all organized. Um, Howell talks about how appreciative he is, how much gratitude they have for um, for our ability to, to to keep them on the road and and to contribute to the cycling community in, in Alajuela and in Tambor, and. The guys that get this, I mean, the need is so great that they'll be changing a saddle on the spot. They'll be putting a rear derailleur on like right away to get their bike back on the road. Um, so everyone is mechanically inclined enough because they have to work on their bikes quite a bit more than we do. Just again, because of maybe lack of access to a bike shop and they have their own little bike bunker slash bike shop right there. So they're doing the work right there. I'll send pictures to friends that send saddles or send bars. It's like they're already in use or a wheel set already in use. One of my friends uh, a year or so ago donated an entire bike that had very little use, maybe a couple hundred miles on it. So we put it in a box, brought it down there. And one of the guys down there, minor, he had just crashed his bike, was off the bike for a month. And now he gets this new bike that was donated. And he's like in tears. He can't believe it. We have a video of him receiving it and, just a real special moment and the ability to make that kind of contribution to somebody that wants to be involved in the sport. And frankly, what the sport gives a guy like Minor is so important from a spiritual developmental standpoint, physical, mental, all of that, that the ability to 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 reach out and give back uh, in a small way to a group and a country that has given Jennifer and I so much over the years, it's just a really... Important component of what the Pura Vita Cycling Challenge stands for. And um, it's very rewarding on that first day to just be able to see the difference that that this type of um, commitment makes.
2: That's so awesome. I mean, we're, I know, I mean, we've got a team of 50 athletes. So we'll put out a call to them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I just, we're, we're pretty minimal. We're pretty minimal. Now. <laughs> we're, I'm thinking,
3: do I have an extra pair of tires? I know, but I like I, most
2: people have like, you know, yeah. Cranks, or you know, like Pedals, oh, I went to compact or, cranks, right. so I've got that's these cranks. cranks, or even yeah. like a chain, like I'm
1: gonna put in a chain on before a race, and you just toss the other chain or they give it to the bike shop, and they you would imagine the stuff that's in bike shops. People switching out handlebars that stays in the bike shop, like it's unbelievable totally. the amount of gear that is has lots of use left in it that's just discarded because you want a new, you know, we want something new or better or whatever it is for whatever race is happening,
2: right? And right, we, and we, we, we have a use for all of that. What yeah.
3: the wrench house.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking. Our that mechanic. Too. Yeah. So we'll uh yeah, we'll put the call out and like I said, by the time this launches, we'll already be down there with the goods. So uh that's so exciting. Okay. Um let's hear more about the the days and, and the riding as we're yeah. you know, so starting to
1: we we always end with a giant meal from norm which we already talked about norm our great friend who like caters all the food and so we all kind of hang out and have a really kind of communal uh mass, mass mass amount of food
0: <laughs> and the, the, yeah. uh, we we go with we build a menu out and it's the greatest hits that i know local cuisine so That's we'll cool. do arroz con pollo which is a chicken and rice dish we'll do casado with pescado which is like a traditional um Uh, lunch plate with fish and veggies and salad. Um, we do breakfast. We'll do, we'll do gallo pinto, which is, which translates to painted rooster, but it's also plantains, rice and beans, eggs, cheese, uh, typically like fresh fruit, papayas, pineapple, a smoothie, fresh coffee. So I mean,
1: it's all made to order. So we, you know, we get all the requests from athletes and then we just have our, you know, everybody makes whatever food sounds good, whatever local they can get the farmer's market and put together. So it's just amazing. Like fresh fruit.
0: um, and Yeah. All the time.
1: It's Like which some is-
0: of the, when we ride through some of this, some of these areas, I'm like, Hey, this farm grows uh, chayote and chayote is in the squash family. And it's, it's, it's big in Costa Rica. So I tell Norman, Hey, prepare us a, a, a chayote appetizer, which is, A very tasty squash that you can kind of make as French fries and just eat as finger food. It's delicious. Um, One of my other favorites is a blue marlin ceviche. So it's a, a, I'm sorry, a white white marlin ceviche. And it's a dynamite fresh fish ceviche dish that in Costa Rica, you know, everything is fresh, but Norman makes this absolutely bomb uh, white marlin ceviche, marlin blanco ceviche and it is, it's incredible. So I just try to make sure, for me, it's the people, it's the food, it's the little towns, it's that whole experience that what you're eating and where it's coming from and the story behind it and the people behind it, all of that mm-hmm. is part of that immersive cultural experience, and that stuff is, is really special. So we do our best to make sure you, can, you have the opportunity to try these different dishes if, if you so choose.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and so we usually just hang out, and I think you know last couple of times usually it'd be like seven hours of talking about triathlon or cycling. <laughs> after that, <laughs> that follows. <those. laughs> or people go and they have their own private space to do whatever they want to do. And they go see the volcano. There's lots of like very close things you can do if you want to take tours of like the local area. You have the afternoons free, so our rides are usually done around like one o'clock. Um, for the most part. Um, the second day is our longest day. It's roughly 90 miles and like 10,000 feet of climbing. Mean, it's a pretty, like it's a pretty monster day. <laughs> <Just space. laughs>
2: That's going to be my first day. Yeah. It's a good, it's, a good, it's coming, a good one. I'm coming <laughs> a day late. I'm coming a day late. Um, okay. We'll see. I've never, we'll <laughs> but see. It's, it's uh where all my possibilities live. Exactly. In, um, it's, it's oh, beautiful.
1: Yeah. You actually, you, we go up in <laughs> mountains, you actually see the coast. And so it's interesting. You start very jungle, Where the city is, and then you end up kind of on a drier side and you kind of roll back in through and then climb up and over these mountains. Um, We call it. To be clear, there's
0: a stop at mile 50. There's a stop for breakfast. 45 minutes. We eat, uh, recharge, stretch out because. And I've told Jennifer, I'm like, this ride doesn't even begin until after breakfast.
1: Yeah, like, it's a pretty – it's my favorite. of that day. As, like, an Ironman athlete, it's great because the hard stuff's at mile 60. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Let's go. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm warmed up. Right. Now I can, like, execute the the ride. So it's uh-huh. – um, yeah, so we all meet up there. and Then we do this called the Alicante Climb at the, the Avocado Climb. Is this uh, – I don't know, It's 10, 11 miles.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful up, views. Beautiful. Up, like, the side of a mountain kind of on a, on the edge of a cliff where you can just, you want to stop for pictures every 200 yards because there's incredible. just another vista view. There's another mm-hmm. vista view and it's just, it's beautiful.
1: And these um, roads are in great condition too. So almost all of them are like in, in really good condition. There's a few, you know, some of them have a little, some rough pops, but if you've ever like, uh, have ever I'm in Tucson right now. So if you ever ran in Tucson, it's way better than Tucson. <laughs> so, <laughs> for some on the rough road. So it's it's beautiful. It's a great place to stop. So that's our longest day. We start really early that morning. So we're not out too late in the afternoon. Um, and then the third day, I think is maybe my favorite descent. We have this really beautiful, we go through the little towns again and it's kind of like a stair stepper climb. And then we descend and you can overview the whole valley overlooking San Jose. And it's just these, it's like the mm. perfect grade and like turns where you don't, it's not too technical, but you can get some speed and like really just like have fun going in and out of this descent and kind of get in a, it's a good place to get into flow. Like you just kind of like weave in and out and see these like beautiful towns and views as you wind down back to our favorite um, bakery, which is the highlight for me that day is this amazing bakery <laughs> we stop at, um, but this beautiful church and then head back into town.
0: And this climb on this third day, it's called Lourdes de, uh, Lourdes de Naranjo. And Lourdes is this little town that until recently was only accessible via dirt road. And one of my friends who's one of our guides, Abel, he works for the fuel distribution company. And one of the truck drivers told Abel, he said, hey, they just paved the road up to Lourdes. You should, and he knew he was a rider. So he said, you should go ride it and see what you think because I think it's an incredible climb. So Abel goes out there and rides it. And a week later... He tells me, he's like, I got to take you out here. You're going to love this ride. This was probably 2015, maybe, when I was down there, um, just visiting and, and riding with the crew. He's like, I'm taking you there. It was, I think it was a weekday morning. So I rode up there with him, and it was so spectacular. The views were amazing. The road is brand new. And like Jennifer said, it's just a stair step. It kicks you hard, and then it's got a flat. And then it kicks you hard again, and then it's got another little flat. And if you take advantage of the flats, you can recover enough that on these little punchers up, and I call it a puncher, um, but it's going to be something where you're going to need a big, significant climbing gear to get up it, because they're probably a quarter mile long each, but they just hit you one after the other with some respite in between. The views are amazing. You're going through coffee farms. You get to the top, and it's dairy country at the top. As you gain altitude in Costa Rica the cows and the dairies like to live in altitude. So as we climb, you kind of go from sugar cane where it's hotter coffee, as you get to a little bit of altitude. And as you get to the high altitude, you kind of get to dairy land. So at the top of this climb, you're going through the, the local dairies, um, where they're, they're doing cheeses, they're doing, uh, obviously milk and yogurt and, and ice cream come out of these dairies. Uh, a lot of it goes to dos pinos, which is the, the big conglom- dairy conglomerate down there. Um, But you get up into these bakeries, and as Jennifer said, the descent is just these long sweepers, nothing super tight, enough that you can see the views. If you race it, you're going to blow past some amazing views. So I always recommend that people take their time. Like You're going to go down this, and you need to appreciate that you're buzzing through coffee country now, kind of halfway down the climb. But look up and take a look at the Mm. vistas. Hit the brakes a little bit and just take it in, because they are views that you're just not going to get anywhere else. And it's, it's really amazing.
1: Mm. I think some of the best part of the rides is that they're, they're, they're not like, we're not going to shortcut. Like, these are hard rides. <laughs> like the climbs are hard, right? The grades are, some of them times they can get up to 20%. They can get higher than that on our queen stage stage four when the day that this, this drops, we'll be doing the queen stage. Um, uh-huh. and so they're hard. And like, I mean, if, if you're somebody who likes to race cause you like a challenge or you like to cycle cause you like a challenge, like you will get that challenge. Um, but it's this is great uh, because you're in such an amazing environment, like it can be physically challenging, but yet it's so beautiful that it kind of takes you in and out of this, like, oh my God, this is so hard. I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, oh my God, look how beautiful that view is. Like, it's just like (laughs) kind of like amazing combination. And then you have somebody next to you, like breathing heavy too. And like, you're in community with this person. So it's this like constant, like flow of community, physically really challenging Maybe you'll get some chatter, you can't do it, or it's too hard, but then you'll see a view and you'll get knocked out of it. So it's this like really amazing experience kind of flow in and out of that I find is incredibly powerful and why I love the ride so much. that you do get that, phys- that if you're just riding on flats, it's hard to get, like you have to be in that physical moment of it being challenging. You don't know if you can go forward, you don't know how hard it is, if you can do this. And then when you do it, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I just, I can't believe I just wrote that. That's amazing. I'm gonna do it again tomorrow. And then the next uh-huh. day, and then the next day. So it's this, it's this. it provides this experience of challenge and beauty and community, like all together, like within like an instant.
0: It's, I've it's never funny. been out
1: anywhere else. It-
0: as we started it, and you get people down there for the first time, it's like day one, they're like, oh, that was my favorite ride ever. And then after day two, they're like, oh, that was my favorite ride ever, and that's now my favorite. And then after day, it kind of just builds on it. It's like they've had their favorite ride ever for five days in a row, um, which is it's very rewarding to hear that. Um, I know Jennifer has felt that. My friend Don that went, went down with me for many years has said the same thing. He's like, this is my new favorite climb. And he would say that every consecutive day. So there's... You know, each route has its own personality. Day four, we call the queen stage. It, it just smacks you with the face. It's just a really... It's, it like actually like some parts climb. I just...
1: You just have to laugh, laugh at some parts because it's so steep. You're like, oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> like, Jennifer,
0: was, bike <laughs> Jennifer was talking a little bit about how the roads are built. And the guys down there asked me, they're like, you don't have roads like this in the U.S.? And I said, from a climate standpoint, we can't build roads like this in the U.S., if we built it this grade straight up the side of a mountain, we have ice, we have snow, you know, you would have catastrophes of cars sliding down 20 degree grades uh, on a road that goes straight up a mountain. So for safety, we build switchbacks that kind of wind up the side of a mountain where in Costa Rica, they just go straight up the the, the face of the mountain. And as a cyclist, it's like, I don't get these climbs anywhere else. I can get a switchback climb up in Flagstaff or in Tucson or I, you know, I was just in California last week with with Jennifer riding through the, the Santa Monica Mountains there. And there's some beautiful switchback climbs and some some very challenging ones as well. But I, I tell the guys down there, I'm like, no, we don't have we don't have rides like to Sacramento Barba um 13K of this epic climb straight up the side of a volcano because because of our climate, we just can't build it that way. It would not be safe engineering. Um, but down there, they have these roads. And and when I was living down there, riding down there, I'm just like, this is amazing. It's European-esque um, with the Latin American flavor to it. So when Jen was talking about the first day, Las Antenas, it's this really – it's a narrow European-style road that goes up into the rainforest, up into the jungle. But it's very low traffic. It's a well-maintained road. It's a perfect day one, kind of a perfect introduction to this is your environment. These are the people um, of all the five days, it's, it's probably the easiest climb. Jennifer, I don't know if you'd (laughs) agree. it is. Easiest relative.
2: Um, (laughs) I'm so glad I'm missing it. it. (laughs) I'm so glad I'm missing it. Maybe somebody will love it so much that they'll want to do it on day two. (laughs)
0: Um, but it does have that feel of, it's tight, but it, for, for cycling, it's just a beautiful path up the side of a mountain into the rainforest Mm -hmm. and, the the climate changes at the top. We we'll get clouds rolling in. Sometimes you get a little mist, and you know it does have that European European vibe to it. And I think the fourth day, Sacramento, which is there's I don't think there's a, cl- a harder climb that I've ever done. And I would challenge anybody that comes with us to say I know a harder climb because I'd love to see it. Um, but the first time I rode Sacramento day four, I had I was in my early 30s, maybe even late 20s. And probably some of the best shape of my life. And I didn't know what was coming. So I would attack and go hard in one stretch. And I had to dismount my bike three times just to catch my breath because I I attacked. And then you come around a corner and it hits you again, which I didn't know. And I'm like, whoa. So the mountain got the best of me. The volcano got the best of me that first time. And then I saw it and I'm like, okay, I know how to do it now. I need to conserve. I need to be ready for certain parts. And so I coached the people that are down there. I'm like, this is what you're going to see. This is how you're going to feel, but know that this is what's coming afterwards. Make sure you have some gas in the tank at this point. So, you know, getting through that and making it to the top in and of itself is an amazing accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And what you need is a good attitude and the right gearing. And if you have those two things, you can make it. And we had uh, an athlete from Wisconsin that joined us last fall. She trained on the flats in Wisconsin for the entire summer. Uh, spent time on a trainer the, the the winter prior, and she was ready to go. She had a smile on her face. She embraced the culture, and she had the right gear. And I think she had a 36 cog uh, cassette on the back. I think she had 1136. And that 36 is a big gear for climbing. So she just spun her way up, had a smile on her face on the top at the top, and did fantastic. So uh, when we think about who can handle these climbs, it's not just an elite cyclist. It could be someone that... Just enjoys riding. Wants to see a new country. Wants to experience people and culture and food. Um, and stop at a roadside stand and have a coconut water. You know all of those things. If if you want to embrace adventure and you want to see a new country on two wheels and you have a good attitude and the right gearing, there's the the sky is the limit.
2: Yeah. I think I'm going to be a good, I think I'm going to be a good, um, test subject for that, for kind of the every, the every woman type of rider. Um, and especially since the whole focus all winter has been on this like ultra marathon that I'm running. So I hadn't really even been riding my bike until (sighs) one month ago. And, uh, and now I am. And, uh, yeah, it's just amazing how, you know, you just kind of show up. And, uh, and we'll see how it goes. And I think that it's so important to always give yourself a shot. And I'm talking about those, those people who are listening right now going, oh, it sounded so good until they started talking about how hard it is. And I could never do that. Um, and I encourage you to maybe put that thought aside and live in the possibility of, of what could be. And, and knowing that you can always get off your bike and knowing that you can always, get in the van and knowing that you can always say, Hey, I'm going to hang out, uh, off the bike today, Mm -hmm. whatever you're going to do. But it's, um, I think giving ourselves a shot Mm -hmm. at amazing opportunities in this life truly is living right. And living now, not living once I get better bike fitness, once, you know, things make more sense for me to go, um, live now because
0: it's it, it's funny yeah. i love that attitude jess and i've always had this philosophy that waiting is expensive and it is mm-hmm. there's a cost of waiting there's opportunity cost um you know the and again we talked about things that happened in my life in my late 20s nothing is guaranteed i want to enjoy today i want to enjoy the opportunities that i have at this moment i want to embrace opportunities that come my way but waiting also has you know there's a cost to waiting. And I struggle with that. Um, I'm not the most patient person at times. I just want to go, I want to live it. I want to embrace it. Whatever life and the universe gives to me, I want to take it in, absorb it and appreciate it for everything it has. So, um, and I have a one good story about one of our friends, Joel, who is the leader, um, his son, Diego has a wife and they have an 18 month old son together. And Ellie, his wife, has just started taking up cycling in the last six months. And by now, it's been probably 10 months. So when we got there last September, she had been riding for six months, training with the guys, um, getting her fitness up. But she only had six months of experience on the bike. So she joined us for a couple days and did half stages. But on the big day, day number four, the queen stage, she said, I'm going to make it up halfway I'm going to get in the van and I'm going to be good. I said, great. Can't wait. And the first half, no picnic. So she makes it up the first half of the climb. We get to this little town, San Jose de la Montaña. And she's like, Dan, I'm going all the way. And I said, do you know what's coming? And she said, no, but I want to give it a shot. And I said, awesome. Let's go. Well,
1: and just, and just, just to be clear, so until I had rid, I was the first woman they've ever seen complete that route on a road bike. The local guys had never seen a woman actually do this ride on a road bike. And for her. and so then, for her, a year later, who's been training for six months to then decide she wants to do it, it's like a big deal,
0: huge it's a deal huge
1: deal that she would even like attempt it.
0: so we everyone kind of went at their own pace, and Ellie's smiling and cruising along and just kind of spinning her way up. So we get to the top. And I rolled down with Joel and Diego to say, hey, let's see if we can find Ellie coming up and give her the support she needs on the last kilometer or kilometer and a half. So we ride down and we had been sitting, we had been kind of hanging out at the top for a little while, just having a a drink and and socializing. And so we rode down, we looked for her, we waited for a little bit and we didn't see her. So we said, okay, let's just ride back up to the top of the climb, the little soccer field, the town that's up there. We'll organize the guys and we'll ride down because she probably turned around early. So as we're back to the top a second time and socializing, maybe 10 minutes go by, and in the, dis- in the distance, you can see a cyclist coming up the last 500 meters. And I'm like, is that Ellie? And we look, and we're like, that's Ellie. She made it. She's coming up. So she gets to the top of the queen stage, a six-month experienced cyclist with a smile and the right gears, and everybody's clapping, hooting, and hollering. She's getting giant hugs. But this accomplishment for Ellie to make it up the queen stage and persevere and smile. She said, this is probably one of the most amazing athletic accomplishments she had. And for us to see it and witness and be part of it, it it was extremely special. And there wasn't a dry eye within the whole group. It was just, the local guys thought there was probably a 2% chance she was going to make it. Um, But she just just spun her way up on her 36-tooth chain ring with a smile on her face took her time and and she made it and i looked at jennifer i'm like this is incredible. This is absolutely unbelievable,
1: well, and that's and- that's the thing with the stage four is that you have to face your fear on it. Like it is very steep. There's parts of it that are thirty percent grade. Like, and people don't believe us, but it legit is. And so, like, I had the first experience of like you like when you're a race, you go for an extra gear. And like if you don't have it, like, okay, it'll just go like a little bit slower and maybe you don't get the place you want. But here, like, if you literally don't have any more energy to draw from, like you're gonna fall over on your bike. Like that was my experience. And so, like, being in a situation where I had to dig that deep and I found more energy than I ever knew that I had before <laughs> was life-changing because now I can access it anytime I want. Like I know where it is because I was forced in that situation that no race has ever put me in to find it. And now on the race course, I'm like, oh, I can dig. I I know how far I can go. Like I've been in the well before, all because of this one day on Sacramento. Like, so people can be scared. Like, I totally get it. It is scary, but like If you're going to sit on the sideline and never like approach that fear, you're never going to find what's inside of you. And so I think what's great about this experience is that like you, if you want to, that's there for you in a supportive environment, in a beautiful place, when you get to the top, everybody's going to be crying and cheering for you. Like it's I can't think of a better experience to overcome fear.
2: So Jess, when you get to the, get ready to park, cry just guys. Just you
3: think? You, get ready to cry. You've arrived. We're you know? going,
2: we are going straight downstairs to count the gearing on my, desk. I know.
0: We'll check
3: out your cassette. Yeah. As soon as we, as soon as we
2: wrap this up, we're going straight downstairs. Make sure you All have
0: right. a 30, a 36 cassette on the back. If you have 1136, yep. you're going to be good.
2: All right. Bubble All right. Cool. Um, Okay. So as we begin to wrap this uh, conversation up, we got to hear about day five. Let's go day five. And then, um, and then
3: what, how can people sign up and when, what are the dates? Yeah. What are they? So yeah. let's do five
2: first. Okay. Day five. Isn't that right?
1: It's like, we call it like, it's an, it's another beautiful climb, like <laughs> another roll through small towns, beautiful climb up to the top of, um, Palmaris. And then we roll we roll back down, um, kind of like the backside of town Another another kind of bakery stop. It's a really good like final ending. And just for, you know, anybody who's afraid of holding people up, you know, I personally, I made it the top of day five and I was cashed out. Like I was just coming off of off season, like I had nothing in the tank. And so I hopped in the truck. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna gonna take pictures. I'm gonna hop in the truck. I knew the guys wanted to haul ass back. And so and and it's fine. Like I hung out with Mauricio. Like that's the great part is that like you do what you can and when you're cashed out, you get in the truck. You're still a part of the team, you're still taking fixtures. You're I was passing water bottles follows to people like you're still in it, even if you're not on the bike. And so there's always that option. Um, and I was more than happy to get in the truck on that day. I was, I was out.
0: <laughs> and day five is not as hard as day four, but it's close because the, the, <laughs> but the climb at the bottom is super lush. You're like in this jungle landscape, jungle canopy over you, almost like a tunnel of jungle that you're riding through. And then you climb up this, This really incredible mountain range to the top. There's a church at the top. There's a vista view at the top where everyone stops and we get a group picture up there, uh, refuel a little bit if we need. From there, it's maybe another hour of kind of rolling up and down rides. We get to the town of Gracia, which has our favorite bakery. So we load up there. This place makes just incredible cream puffs, donuts, um, cookies. They have salty treats as well. But it's a bakery that I've been going to for the for almost twenty years, and they still they still recognize me. They still know me very well. Um, I know the owner, so when we come by, it's like, hey, this giant group of cyclists is here. And I sometimes I'll call her a day in advance and say, we're coming, so make sure you have the inventory that we're going to need because we roll through there with twenty hungry cyclists and probably have one of the highest checks of of the week for them. Um, but it's an amazing bakery that we stop. It's kind of our last refueling stop of that day. And we sit in the park in Gracia, socialize, hang out, recharge a bit. And then it's it's probably another 10 miles home. Again, through rolling terrain, there's a punchy climb at the end that might be a mile long called El Cacao, which with, for people that have the legs, some, some people will blast up it and try and race to the top. Other people can just um, sit in and spin their way up. And that's kind of um, the end. We have a, a final lunch that day. And then the last... The, Evening after the last day, we have a party, and so Norm and Bernie and me nee put together uh, a party dinner for us where it's all of our group that have showed up to do the Pure Vita Cycling Challenge. It's some of the locals as well that, that join us, and we just share stories about our experience, uh, trade contact information to keep in keep in touch, share videos and photos, and it's just kind of a way to celebrate the experience that we just had um, the last day before people start to go their own ways.
2: Oh, it sounds amazing. So how do people sign up? And when are the next trips? Yeah. So we got the, um, so our website Pervita
1: challenge, um, per um, also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, so they can come there and there's a link to register. And our next trip is September. Um, it's the second to the ninth and then we have another one in January, um, over that. Um, Martin Luther King weekend. Um, but we,
0: The May trip is coming up.
1: And the May trip is coming up, which will be will be on. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll this, be on when this drops. drops. Yeah. 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 Every year we do a January and May and a September trip. So it's a great – January is a great time to prepare if you have any races coming up. Like it's a great place to come and kind of get your cycling links underneath you um, or just for an adventure unto itself. So we have three times a year people can sign up, and they can find us on the website or Instagram.
2: Awesome. I love it. And I love that this podcast is wrapping up uh, at one eleven. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Divine!
2: That's amazing. You guys, thank you so much for joining us today, Dan. It was so nice to meet you and talk with you and, and hear your stories. I'm fired up to see you guys next month. And, um, yeah. What do you think, Beach?
3: I think we're going to do, uh, some serious, some serious climbing, um, <laughs> yeah. and some serious mind work, mental, mental, uh, yeah. training. I think, um, especially, yeah. um, especially with Ironman world championships the week before, uh, with 7,000 feet of, of elevation. It's a warm-up. We'll be warm. I was going to say, makes, <laughs> <laughs> if we just eat, eat
1: all the food between Ironman St. George and like the first day of climb, we'll be fine. Just eat all yeah. the food. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's good.
0: It's really awesome to hear you guys talk about it beforehand and then you get to experience and then we can talk about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, it's going to be really special for Jennifer and I to have both of you guys down there to be right next to you riding through this beautiful country and experiencing everything that it has to offer and, you know, just looking, really looking forward to having you guys down there. It's
2: going to be part of our family. It's going to
1: be awesome. That's right.
0: Yeah.
2: I love it. We already are. Thank you so much. You guys so appreciate your time today. And, and, um, also like if people, you know, they, they, those dates don't work, like they never work anything like that. You, they can always still contribute gear. Yes. Um, and so reach out to these guys, uh, via the website and we'll put all that good stuff in the show
3: notes. Perfect. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thanks guys.